Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Taking a walk. Music has its demands as well. When we're a musician, sometimes we're a bit like an actor and we have to be what the music needs us to be sometimes. We have to draw on all our temperamental possibilities, I think, to be able to realise the music. So there's that as well. There's who we really are and, and who we are for the music and there's many levels. Welcome to the Taking a Walk podcast, where your host, Buzz Knight, features guests that share their stories and speak of their love of music. On this episode, we explore the world of chamber music with a man who has had a remarkable career as a conductor, a cellist, and a keyboardist. The H&H Society was founded in 1815, and Jonathan, at the age of 44, is one of their youngest artistic directors in history. The new season of H&H is called What's Old is New Again. Let's join Buzz and Jonathan in Boston on Taking a Walk. Well, Jonathan, thanks for having me here. Um, can you describe what is on this wall here first, Jonathan? <laughs> well, there's a lot of music there. That's all, all nicely organized. Look, there's uh, Johann Sebastian Bach's Magnificat, Mass in G minor. There's a tons. I won't read out all the names, but there's a lot of uh, repertoire and music that the organization's been performing for years here, I'd imagine. Yeah. Is it someone's responsibility to put these in files here? Oh, yeah, I would imagine absolutely. We have to keep them nicely ordered. A lot of sheet music. You know, musicians, we we write our bowings and and markings in there, and so there's a lot of history in those pages, yeah. Well, congratulations on the uh, new appointment as the artistic director. Tell me how it feels. How excited are you? I'm very excited. It feels great. It's um, it's, uh, a wonderful chance to do to do really great music here in Boston with fantastic musicians, and um, I'm thrilled to be to be here. 
And uh, how about just being in Boston in general? How does that feel? Yeah, it's a fantastic place. I'm very, I, I'm really, I feel a lot of energy here. You know, I don't know if that's if that's um, if if you feel that too, but um, it feels to me that there's a lot of a lot of love and love for music, a lot of energy of culture here. It's a it's an exciting place. It is. I always uh, feel that way coming into the city. I live yeah. out in the. The suburbs, but uh, the coming to Boston is always a true joy, and uh, getting to meet you is a joy. Since it's called taking a walk, do you like taking walks in cities like Boston? I do. I like walking a lot. I, it's, I often walk to rehearsals, and um, you know, especially if it's a nice day like today with the sun shining, it's a pleasure. I, I like hiking as well. Actually, I do quite a lot of that. Um, something very. Um, very healthy and, and lovely to be outdoors, I think. And when you're in the midst of a long day of rehearsals, yeah. um, is it a welcome moment to just go clear your head and take a walk? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, being in one room all day working, it's, uh, it's nice to get out, isn't it, and go and find a spot of lunch and nice coffee, walk around a little bit. Absolutely. So... Talk specifically about some of your background that you think has essentially really prepared you for this new work you'll be part of. Yeah, well, I was a cellist to start off with. Well, actually, that's not entirely true. I was a pianist. I started piano when I was very little, and then I got uh, into the cello when I was about aged eight. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I did a lot of chamber music. I think that, that helped prepare me a lot because I think Baroque music is a lot about chamber music. Um, so I played in string quartets and I, I used to go on summer courses as a kid, to chamber music courses, you know, playing chamber music. Um, and, yeah, so, so I, I found Baroque music a little bit later. When I was at Cambridge, I went to university and I studied music there. Um, and I got into the, you know, with those beautiful chapel choirs and the music there. I used to enjoy putting putting things together, and I had lots of friends who were singers and instrumentalists, and I always sort of, you know, found a nice piece of music from the library, something a bit interesting, and said, hey, wonder what this sounds like, let's get together and play it. So I was always fascinated with the idea of just bringing people together to play to play music that we didn't know, and that, that, that was always my sort of driving motivation, really, yeah. And um, is it still something that you have the same passion as to when you started? Absolutely. I always, always love, love discovering new, new music. And you know, there's so much music. It's almost like you'll never run out. This in, in, in the past, you know, it's music from everywhere. And that's one of the great pleasures about music, really. It's sort of uh, um, never-ending possibilities and, and new combinations, of infinite combinations of notes to put together. And, you know, each time we make it, it's, we make it... We make it anew with, with people, with different people, and, and you make a note and then it disappears and it's gone forever, and you then get together and do it again. That's the great thing about music, isn't it? So is there going to be a particular theme to this uh, new season? Yeah, well, you know, the, 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 I think there's... Um, we, 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 liking, we very much think that what is, um, what is old is new again, and that's a, that's a nice, uh, I guess, summary of... Of what what music's all about, really, and especially Baroque music, because it is new again. We we pick up the score, um, and we reinvent it, and that's happening all the time. That's one of the pleasures of doing this kind of great music. Actually. 
So what are typical days like leading up to uh, when you will uh, be opening? So this week's going to be very busy. Uh, we're opening with uh, Israel and Egypt by Handel on, on Friday and Sunday, um, first, first of the new season. And we'll be rehearsing frenetically all week, actually, which is great. This is really diving into this fantastic, monumental piece of Handel. Um, the, uh, the chorus yesterday, when I met them for the, for the first time in this piece, they're sounding absolutely fabulous. So, so uh, we'll meet the orchestra today and we'll gradually put it together over the week. So that's going to be a lot of fun. How long are the rehearsals? Three hours generally per rehearsal. And then we do like two or three of them sometimes a day. And, you know, I'm going around uh, working, f you know, we'll put it together. We'll, we'll work the chorus separately and we'll look over things, this sort of little, all the details about how to, you know, where we're putting the consonants and ideas about, about, the, uh, about the music specifically related to the chorus. And then today well, I'll take the, the orchestra by itself and just, you know, we'll, we'll get to know the music and look at what concerns the orchestra. And then tomorrow and the next days we'll start putting it all together and it just sort of grows bigger and bigger. And we sort of zone out, um, uh, you know, just thinking musically less about details and more about the big picture as, as, as it grows and grows into the, into the performance, I think. Is there a little chaos in the process at all? Uh, well, um, little chaos never, never hurts. It's good. I mean, you know, it's good, to be, it's, good to be, it's good to be creative, and I suppose creativity is where chaos lives but I try to be as planned as I can especially when you're organizing people's times you know you have to it, w it would be a little too chaotic to to be saying let's rehearse this and then without the right number of people there or things like that so, so I try to be as organized as I can be yeah. do you have somebody that's uh, the equivalent of a, a chief of staff of, of the, the whole operation that assists you or, or is it just you bringing everybody along? Uh, no, I mean, there's a huge amount of organisation work that goes into this. Uh, I mean, um, organisations very lucky to have Ira working, um, looking after all the musicians and organising that. And, you know, um, and musically, I'm, I'm, I'm there running the rehearsals. So, so, yeah, yeah. I worked for somebody that... Um, as I was managing radio stations and uh, on-air talent um, who suggested to me that uh, managing talent um, is similar to conducting an orchestra and uh, having the players in the orchestra play the notes that I'm asking them to play. Um, I wanted to get your take on that in terms of what's important to be that leader that director and understanding the temperament of people and, and how you finesse that. Yeah, I mean, there is a, I think there's a great similarity. Uh, being a conductor is actually sort of being a leader. Of, um, I mean, you know, if you think of that in terms of in a business or something, it's something similar. It's the same sort of, um, you want to bring the best out of the people that are in front of you and you want to, you want to enable people to really have the chance to invest their personality, their experience, their skills, and you want to create an environment and condition where, where people are happy to give their best, you know, and I think that's what, what is important for a conductor to, to, to bring out to musicians, I think, you know. Is there some psychology involved? I'm sure there is with everything in life, no, I mean, yeah, a little bit, 
I like to, I like to, you know, think a lot about people's people's temperaments and 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 how how we can, you know, uh, get the music sounding because music has its demands as well. When we're a musician, sometimes we're a bit like an actor and we have to be what the music needs us to be. Sometimes we have to draw on all our temperamental possibilities. I think to be able to realise the the music. So there's that as well. There's, there's who we really are and and who we are for the music and, you know, it's, uh, there's many levels. What does it mean to you when you think of the historical um, perspective here of uh, the society and its, its history? What does all that uh, mean to you in terms of how you're going to guide it moving forward? Yeah, it's, a, it's an immense... Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, I suppose it's humbling, you know. The, this organisation is um, is an illustrious organisation over many many years. It's, uh, it's it's done a lot of great work, great music, and I feel like I'm a part of the, the story now. You know, it's um, it's a maybe um, a little chapter in the in the story of H and H, and and um, I'm I'm keen to re, you know to respond to to what what needs to. To happen today, and and uh, I'm, I, I feel very very privileged and lucky to be able to be involved. So, when you go through a performance, um, is there a post mortem after where you sort of look and say, "Hey, everybody, we did this brilliantly. We need to work on this ah. point." Well, this, we often have two performances during a week, and there's a little uh, tiny rehearsal before the second one. So sometimes after the first one, if there are items... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I will go away after and sort of get the score out again the next day and try and think over, you know, how can I, how can I improve what was good, what could be better, uh, always, you know. Um, and the second performances... It's interesting, actually, second performances are often very different to first performances. I found that in, a lot in the opera sometimes. Um, because, you know, people, as we were talking about psychology, people often have, have achieved... Um, Rather great thing the, uh, the, on their first performance, and you know the energy is often different on the second one. Maybe it's a little bit wiser. You never know, but maybe less energy, but a bit wiser. And so there are challenges to a second performance. It's interesting. Yeah. Who are some of the leaders in your career that have uh, shaped you and really influenced you? Yeah, I was lucky to work as a young assistant conductor with William Christie. Um, for a long time, four or five years actually, in, in France with his organisation Les Arts Florissants. And I learned a great deal from, from Bill. Um, it, was a very, it was a very exciting time, you know. I, I got to watch things close up and, and uh, I was lucky to have a responsibility. He gave me a lot of responsibility, you know, go and rehearse this and go and sort things out with these singers. And, and um, it's often difficult, I think, as a conductor. I mean, people train as conductors, you know, now in music colleges and things, and it's very difficult to get. Um, you have to have, you have to have pilot hours. You know, it's like you know, you have to actually learn to, to, to fly the real plane. Simulators are not. Um, I mean, they can be useful, but you know, being with people and having the chance to do that is extraordinarily valuable for a musician. I was very lucky with, um, with Bill because he, he gave me gave me a lot of time with the orchestra, a lot of responsibilities to, to undertake, and it was, you know, f- it was a formative time for me. I was, yeah. Is that the biggest thing that he taught you, that, uh, that bit of that freedom well, that you he know, gave just, you? Just being part of that musical community that was regularly doing 
wonderful music and big operas and staged operas and things with singers and or orchestras and chamber music and all sorts of things, just being part of it and sitting in on rehearsals and then taking rehearsals and, you know, being part of the hustle and bustle. I got to see what, what, what does it take to make a schedule, you know? What do directors, how do they need to collaborate with conductors? What do, what, what do singers need? What kind of, you know, ornamentations, uh, what, um, uh, all the preparations and how do they go about experiencing that and what's important to them, you know, kind of emotionally as well. How does it feel? And um, that's very, it's, it's very important. That. Yeah. So, is there an element of balancing the historical perspective of the society with also bringing new audiences uh, into the joy of the work? I mean, is there a, a balancing act with that? Well, you know what we said about our sort of um, new season of what's old is new again. Um, I don't think of it as doing uh, um, old music. I, uh, I mean, you know, it's like saying that somehow Shakespeare or, or um, you know, Charles Dickens or some kind of any book not written right today is somehow irrelevant. To, but as she, you know, music and art is a, is a collection of human experience over time, and I think there's a lot to there's a lot to learn, especially with music that we reinvented, you know. So it, 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 it is new. And, and I don't think we have to um, apologise to audiences for, 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 for that. I, I think often people come because of that. That's, that's my view. And I think if there was a message... Because, you know, I'm very keen on accessibility. I, I, I love that, that we work hard at H&H &H for that. And, and it's important to, to, to invite, to say, this is music for the world, you know. And we want you... We, we want you to have the chance to come and hear it. I think that's so... And, you know, and it is extraordinarily relevant in the way that any kind of art that encapsulates the human condition over time has a lot to, lot to teach us and to invigorate and to, and to, and to I don't know, just to, to kind of touch the heart and give us, um, give, us, give us hope and joy, you know? There is a part of the society that does this great work with... Um, young folks, yeah, that's fantastic. From, from yeah. two to twelve, for yeah. sure, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's really bringing them sort of uh, into the fold uh, early. Yeah. Um, talk about how joyful that is for you. That's amazing to see that, and I think it's a vital part of of uh, of the H and H mission, the education, um, giving young people the chance to read music, to experience music together, I think it can change the, the life. I mean, you know, I think it's um, a wonderful thing to do. And um, uh, it's our future audiences, our future musicians too, you know. So, but but it, it, you, it brings people all sorts of great benefits um, for children. You know, my son himself does a lot of singing, and I, I saw when he started doing that a transformation, actually, in his... His personality, his um, ability to concentrate, his uh, his um, kind of joy and energy. He always looked forward so much to singing in in the choirs, and I think it's really great opportunity. You know? We produced this other podcast. It's called uh, "Music Saved Me," and it's about the healing power of music uh, from musicians' standpoint and 
from some of their fans. Um, do you think music and the music that you are part of has therapeutic healing power? Absolutely. There's no doubt about that, actually. It really does, you know. It's, um, it's an extension of our spirits, of our souls somehow, and it's a way of, it's a way of sharing that together and, and over time as well, you know. It's like you can connect with people in different places, you can cross boundaries, you know, cross, you can cross time spans, countries, experiences, and you can share humanity. I think that's, the, that's what music's all about, and you see it, you see the power of it in the concert halls, you see it, uh, you see it at concert, you just turn around and I look, see the audience and I see someone in row, whatever, who's have, have a giant grin on their face, a lovely smile and eyes sparkling and they've, they've, really, um, they've really taken in that piece of music and it's, it's made a difference, you know, that's, uh, that's lovely. And does it feel different in a, um, let's just say, a post-pandemic world that people are even more joyful to experience? I certainly felt that, actually, yeah, especially when, when things came back again. There was a real sort of feeling of absolute relief, actually, that we can get back to kind of living a more normal type of life. And, it's, you know, I think it's... Um, it's like a plant, isn't it? If you stop giving it water, it sort of shrivels up, and that's how I felt a little bit when everything was isolated. I mean, of course, it was necessary, but uh, but it's nice to get back to things. It felt like a reflourishing, actually. Yeah. Well, lastly, I want to ask: Are there any guilty pleasures musically that uh, someone might be surprised that you enjoyed knowing? The, uh, the disciplines of your work on a regular basis? It's a very hard question to answer because I don't feel particularly guilty. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, now I'm, I'm quite sort of open and I love listening to all sorts of different things. Not that I necessarily know very much about the things, but, you know, I'm not sure. You can enjoy music without, without knowing lots of things about it. Um, but uh, I certainly, with, a, with, a, with my... Son now listening to all sorts of things, which I've got no idea who these are. <laughs> so you know, no, I've tried, yeah, tried to, try to remain open-minded and 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 listen to, listen to it as, as much as I can. Yeah, <laughs> is that guilty? With curiosity, no, it's, yeah. it's just honest. Yeah, right, right, right. right. You, you don't close your ears to no. anything. No, in general, I think I, you know, I, I think in general, if I'm maybe I still feel guilty about this, things that are extremely loud tend to but maybe that's because I became attuned to working you know with instruments that aren't sort of magnified by electric uh, amplifiers so sometimes especially if I go into a nightclub or a bar and then live music I sometimes really think that's fantastic it's so exciting it's so loud um and I sort of you know so I, I takes a bit of getting used to for me maybe that's where I feel the most guilty Thank you for being All on, right. and congratulations, uh, and it's you. an honor to meet you. Thank you, you too, Buzz. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Taking a Walk. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends. You can find this podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.